and welcome into the latest edition of the Sharpshooters. I'm David Schuster, joined as always by my hoops junkie partner, Mr. Andy Roth. This podcast brought to you by DraftKings. More from our sponsor in just a little bit. And today we have a very, very special guest, a good friend of mine who I've known for quite a while, and he's been all over the country. We're going to talk about that in just a second, too. Mr. Nick Friedel, who's a wonderful reporter for ESPN. Uh, you can follow him, as I do, on Twitter at Nick Friedel. Not very creative, but okay. Easy to remember. Nick, how you doing? Well, well first of all, Nick you know, moved very semi-recently from the West Coast to the East Coast. He's now situated in Midtown Manhattan. Is that correct, Nick? That's right. That's right, you. Anyway, so Nick's been around. Nick's Nick, uh, give a little history here. A lot of people will know this who are listening to this podcast. Nick and I met, of course, here in Chicago. He was working for, I mean, you were working even locally here before ESPN, if I'm not mistaken. You were working for The Score, if I'm not mistaken, right? Shoot, I was an intern cutting up tape in the back in college in like uh, 2005 t- thanks to my my old friend Andy Garcia who right. was a uh, a colleague of ours so it it feels weird all these years later to still be away from Chicago because I feel like no matter where I go everybody still asks me about the Bulls and about the city but it's it's great to hear your voice, and it's great to be with you guys. Well, it's great to hear your voice also, and and you've really made a name for yourself. I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm serious when I say Thank that. You. you you have earned your feathers. Um, you went out to uh, the West Coast and covered Golden State through their championships and a lot of drama out there. But nothing is drama more so than the than the Brooklyn Nets right now. And I'm so glad they won last night because I didn't want to talk to you after a 12 game losing streak. <laughs> However, they have lost 11 of 12. Anyway, I mean, welcome to our podcast. We're going to talk a lot about the Nets, so we might as well just start there. A lot of news even today. You covered that press conference. You know, Ben Simmons. What are your impressions of Ben Simmons even after the press conference today, Nick? I think he is so ready, shoe to turn the page. He wants so desperately just to be back out on the floor playing basketball, not worrying about all the stuff that happened in Philly, but... He understands. People are going to have questions. The questions aren't going to go away after the initial press conference. He has to produce. The key with the Nets is they feel like they're bringing him into an environment where he can succeed because Patty Mills has known him forever, dating back long before Simmons got into the league and their ties to Australian basketball. Same goes for Kyrie Irving. So right there, those two guys have made it clear already, we've got his back. And when you start feeling that solid support behind the scenes, that usually carries over onto the floor. And then you start playing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie, at least on the road down the stretch here, unless the the Vax mandate gets pulled back in New York City. But as far as Simmons goes, he seems to be in a very good place. And the Nets are banking on the fact that he's going to be very motivated to prove to all the people in Philly that he's still a really, really good player. And Nick, do you feel from a basketball standpoint, it's a better fit playing with guys like Kyrie and KD with their skill as opposed to Embiid, a great big man, but still a big man and not the type of player that KD and Kyrie are? A hundred percent, Andy. And so many people over the course of the last few days are like, ah, I don't know about the Nets. I, I don't think they can pull it all together. And I know we'll get into the Kyrie situation, but let's leave that aside. From a basketball standpoint, I actually think they're better with Simmons because his strengths are where they are deficient. Perimeter defense, getting the ball up and down the floor, 
being the guy who can help create offensively, these are things that are going to help the Nets. And if you get Kyrie playing all the time and you get Kevin Durant back healthy and you play him alongside Seth Curry and Joe Harris potentially comes back uh, at some point before the regular season ends, now all of a sudden you're talking about a team, if they can all be on the floor, that is dynamic in a lot of areas instead of with Harden, as solid as he still can be, they were going to crunch you offensively, but defensively they've had a lot of slippage over the last couple months. So from a basketball standpoint, I think it's a real good fit for Brooklyn. You know, I, I love his script writing abilities because he said, well, my, I think my first game is going to be March 10th in Philadelphia. Listen, <laughs> I would have paid just to see him in a Philly uniform, but now in a Brooklyn uniform playing that first game, Nick, that, that's going to be off the charts. It will be rocking in there. <laughs> and, and shoot, you've seen plenty of games like I have uh, in that building, in that city. People are going to be going nuts the whole night. And they're going to want to get in his head. And they're going to want to tell him he made a mistake for, for not coming back. The storylines write themselves there. But with the way the Nets are, are bringing him along right now, I, I'd be surprised as we sit here right now that it, if he's not back before then. It seems like he's in very good shape. They're going to get another week here through the All-Star break to get him acclimated into what they want to do. So I'd, I'd just be surprised myself that if he's not back before the 10th. He looks like a guy who's ready to play. His teammates are enjoying having him around. And now you've got a, a setting where you can bring him into a few games and kind of ramp him up into that Philly game instead of just dropping him in the middle of what will be just a crazy scene. Nick, I like to try to simplify things. If Kyrie got the shot before the season, would James Harden still be in Brooklyn? Yes, I believe that. And the reason I say that, Andy, is because Whatever drama may have been going on behind the scenes, and I'm sure all that stuff will continue to pour out here uh, as the divorce becomes more finalized, the scene that continues to pop up in my mind is actually from Chicago a couple weeks ago. And in Chicago a couple weeks ago, in that second half, the Nets with healthy Kevin Durant, healthy Harden, and Kyrie on the floor and playing just destroyed the Bulls. Just dominated them and at the end of Harden's press conference he goes I'm gonna give Kyrie the shot myself yeah and when he said that I, I mean he was he was serious because everybody saw what it could be everybody around the league is is texting each other and calling saying hey this team finally looks like it's coming back to life and while I think there were a lot of different factors that led to the ultimate divorce if the question is, had Kyrie been there through the whole season, would Harden still be there? I, I think it's pretty emphatic, yes. Have you heard any rumblings or any sense that there are players on that team that have frustration and or resentment against Kyrie because of his stance? What is so interesting to me, and of course, I've only been here four or five weeks, so I'm, I'm still introducing myself and getting to know a lot of the players and coaches. Andy, they really like Kyrie genuinely and, and and people hear that and they're like what you know this guy he's not playing all the time uh, he's chosen not to get this shot like his teammates 
I am telling you, person to person, while Harden may have had his issues, and and certainly you never know for sure what's going on behind the scenes, specifically with the younger guys on the roster, they love him. And Kevin Durant, I mean, he's made his feelings very clear time after time after time defending Kyrie and in, in what he's doing or not doing and getting the shot. So while I think there might be some frustration, broader picture inside the organization that this storyline has just carried on and on and on, on the roster, these guys genuinely seem to like Kyrie Irving as a person and they know how dangerous he can be as a player. Hey, hey, Nick, one question on the recent trade now, and, it, you know, it's a whopper of a trade, obviously. You know, maybe on the surface, initially, Philadelphia might be a little bit better. That is if uh, Harden is healthy, and that's a big if, by the way. He's not going to play still for until after the, um, the All-Star break. But down the road... I mean, if he wants to stay in Philadelphia and, you know, his, his, you know, the guy in the front office loves him to death, you know, they're going to have to get rid of Tobias Harris in order to, to sign Harden. And they're not really going to have much else on that roster be, besides those two big time players. Meanwhile, Brooklyn, I think that gets better, not only maybe short term, but long term because they get the draft picks. Curry, obviously, his first game was really good last night. So, you know, I think Brooklyn ultimately wins this trade here. Shu, I agree with you completely. Every part of it. Brooklyn opened up its window more than just a year or two. Because Kevin's already signed for a while. Kyrie's got to figure out what he's going to do. And and we'll see what happens with the the Vax mandate again. But Simmons is signed for uh, a while. And you you get these picks back. They're set up to be really good for a really long stretch. What Philly did in Daryl Morey is they said, okay, Harden is better than the zero we're getting from Simmons right now. So you can understand in that regard why they made the deal. But the reality is Philly better win this year. Philly better win right now because it's been said over and over all across the league. That Harden deal that's coming, because he picked up his option, okay, so you got another year, but the max deal that's coming on top of that is going to be awful. And, guys, I cannot stress to you enough. I've watched James Harden through the years from a distance. I watched him over the last four or five weeks here day to day. He can still turn it on, and he can still drop a triple-double and 35 uh, in your face, but when he doesn't want to play or when he's only kind of going through the motions halfway and playing no defense and, and not invested, huh, good luck. So I think he's motivated right now. He wants to show that he can still do it, win a title with Embiid, great. But if it does not happen for Philly right away, a big uh-oh. Yeah, I sent out a tweet last week that um, the James Harden I've seen this year um, and to be turning 33 – I'm not giving him a four-year contract. And I've watched him the whole year, and I've mentioned this to David. He does not seem like the elite James Harden that we've seen over the last five years that's won an MVP. What's your take? Do you think um, he slowed down a little, or it was more a matter of him being unhappy? Should Philly be a little concerned about the way he's played this year? Yes, absolutely they should. Uh, Because, Andy, not only do I think that age is just kind of catching up, to him, the game is being called differently. That's been well documented. Documented. You're not seeing him get the same whistle he's getting. But what you, 
what I think people miss when they look at the numbers is Harden, when you see what's going on with the free throw stuff, is actually getting to the line once more a game this year than he was a year ago. And so the fact that he still doesn't feel like he's getting a consistent whistle leads you to believe that he's relying on that even more than usual. So while I think he's gotten himself into better shape as the season has progressed, I would be very, very concerned. And again, it ties back into the same uh, thought, guys. If they don't win it this year, and if they can't make it happen now, I think their window, while it may not be closed with the way that Embiid is playing, it is not in a good place because it's not as if Harden's going to start getting better and better as he gets older. Hey, Nick, let me ask you about uh, the Nets coach. And and I'm going to put some words uh, out of uh, Andy's mouth before he even has a chance to ask it. He's not a fan of Steve Nash, I'll be honest with you. Um, what what are your impressions, even though you've only been there five weeks, but you know who Steve Nash is. Great player, mm-hmm. obviously. I, I haven't watched him on a game-by-game basis, but what are your impressions of him as a coach? Again, Andy's not a big fan. I think, at least in my time around them, Shu, you can't judge Nash yet uh, – from what you've seen, just because they have been so hurt and they have been uh, placing different guys and younger players in the lineup who who really shouldn't even be in there. So uh, I can understand, and I've heard the criticisms on some of the in-game decisions and what's going on, but specific to this stretch that I've seen, Nash looks like a guy who is just trying to get his team to hang on. And for whatever he might be lacking right now, uh, a couple years into his coaching career, what I tell you is, as I think we all know, so much of the new era of the league is managing egos. And the Nets have three massive egos, or did, in KD, Kyrie, and Harden. We'll see just how big of an ego Simmons uh, has now over time. But this guy really seems to have the respect of those guys. And if that changes, that's something. But I can tell you, even dating back to the Warriors days, KD and Nash had developed a friendship. They had developed a relationship. And if you have Kevin, everything is going to be okay. If you lose Kevin, then you've got much, much bigger problems. I wanted to get back to Kyrie for one moment. Do you think he feels conflicted at all, knowing his personal decision could prevent the team from winning a championship? No. And Andy, I just asked him the question the other night. We were in Miami. I said, do you feel any guilt? Do you feel guilt as you go through this, knowing that you're watching these games and you could be out there? And he just looked at me because we had already had an awkward exchange, let's call it, in Cleveland a few weeks back. And, And he said, and he hasn't run from this part of it. He's rooted in his decision. He believes in the decision that he has made. And he's not viewing it in in that prism. And I know there are fans out there who are saying, well, Kyrie, come on. If you were out there, things would be a lot different uh, on a variety of levels. But he, he just does not see that. He has made a personal decision. He doesn't feel comfortable taking the shot. And he's not looking at this as if he's letting down his team. His feeling is he's made this choice. Everybody has the power to make their own choice. And nothing that anyone says or does is going to sway him off of that. 
Hey, guys, take a break for just a second. I want a word from our sponsor that, of course, is DraftKings and Hoop Fans. The latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. The number on the Tennessee red line is 1-800-889-9789 in Connecticut. It's 888-789-7777. And in New York, it's 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y to 467369. Uh, Nick, as mentioned, you, you came from Golden State. You were living out in the Bay Area. Not too shabby, of course. Um, Steve Kerr has always been probably in my top two or three people that I've dealt with in sports. Uh, first as a player and then as, uh, and then as a coach, of course. You dealt with him, you know, mostly as a coach. I mean, he was always my go-to guy when he was on the Bulls. Whenever, you know, whenever the Bulls lost, which was almost never, you could always, you know, rely on Steve Kerr for something really good, especially, you know, and then when, of course, they won the same thing. But what was it like being around him? What was it like being around Steph, Clay, and even Durant when he was out there as well? Let's start with Kershaw because you have had that experience, and you and I talked about this uh, before I left. I and I told Steve this uh, a few weeks back when I when I made the move. I said I've never been around a coach who was that accessible and understood what we do. And for whatever you think about Kerr professionally, personally, he couldn't have been more giving of his time. And I think part of the reason why. He gets the benefit of the doubt throughout the media and throughout the league in a lot of ways is because he goes out of his way to help people when they, they need that extra quote or they need that extra soundbite or whatever the case may be. So I have never been around a coach who was better at controlling the narrative of his team. And does, does Kerr have things that he'd like to take back or or has he made mistakes in games? Sure, but in the way that he deals with and treats people, beyond the, just the media, I always respect the fact how, how he goes about his business day to day. As far as the Warriors go, I've never been around a team that wants to sell its product the way Golden State does. They have been so good through time, and I think it starts – from a media standpoint with Ray Ritter, who's been their PR guy there for years and years, who gets the players out in front of the cameras, in front of the microphones, and sells the good of the Warriors. Uh, Steph, there there are times where you, you listen and and you'll be talking to him on the record and you're, you're like, oh man, I just talked to Steph for all this time. And 
by design, he just doesn't say that much. <laughs> so he's accessible, but uh, he does not want to give out uh, a lot of personal stuff uh, a lot. But when the, the mics go off or you're just talking to him uh, human to human, I really, really like him. I think he's a genuinely good guy. Uh, Clay is a little bit more mer mercurial, but he is very, very human. I respect that about him. He has his good days and his bad days. And uh, as far as, as Draymond, he's going to to Turner now. He's going to make a, a millions uh, as an analyst. He's always been a fun guy to talk to, and you're never quite sure which direction he's going. And I'd say this about KD because I've had the experience with him now twice. Or whatever you want to say about Kevin and going back and forth on Twitter with all kinds of different people, the guy loves the game. He loves basketball. If you go up to Kevin Durant and you ask him a basketball question, not only have I not been around somebody at that level who's so accessible, again, from a media standpoint, he just loves basketball. He knows every player. He knows where they came from. He knows if you don't know what you're talking about very quickly. And I have always respected the fact that whatever was going on uh, for Kevin off the floor, and everybody points to that last year with the Warriors where he he, 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 did, he said he didn't trust anybody in the media and didn't want to talk uh, for a while. Whatever it was, when you go to Kevin Durant and you ask him about what's going on in the NBA or in college, he knows because he watches and he has a love for basketball that you just don't see every day. Talking about Kerr, Andrew Wiggins now an all-star. How much does he owe Kerr for becoming a first-time all-star on the way his game has developed? Andy, I, when they made that deal, I remember I was telling a lot of the Warriors people, what the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> I agree with you, Nick. I agree with you. I, I, did, I did not think it was going to work. I had seen a lot of Wiggins – in Minnesota, I had bounced back and forth there in those last couple of years when I was living in Chicago. And the effort and consistency that the Timberwolves wanted to see from Wiggins just wasn't there. You just did not see it much from him. I think he owes Kerr because I think Kerr fits his personality. But I think he owes the organization for putting him in the type of structure to get the most out of him. Bob Myers and his staff all along thought – we can bring the most out of Andrew if we surround him with the Stephs and the Clays and the Draymonds. And it's been true. And on top of all that, I think Wiggins was motivated by the fact that so many people had written him off, like me, who had said, all right, he's very talented. He'll have those moments where he'll have great games, but he has far too, too many other moments where you're like, why isn't he giving this team more? I think he took that criticism to heart. He's used it to push him to uh, a different place, and he's come at the perfect time for a team that needed to get a lift from somebody other than those three core guys that have taken him to all the places that they've gotten over the last few years. And, Nick, I, I love their motion offense. They run it no matter who's on the floor. Are you surprised more teams don't play that way? For me, that's the way to play that's the way to get easy shots, efficient shots, backdoor cutting. Are you surprised more teams don't run that kind of offense? I am, Andy, but I've listened to Kerr enough that I feel like it's seared in my brain because <laughs> Kerr has been asked the, a, the same or a similar question in why don't more teams 
uh, do things the way you guys do. And he just kind of looks up and he's like, well, you know, they don't have Steph Curry. <laughs> and I think uh, that's the reason why it works so well is because uh, he is the system. He is the straw that stirs the drink out there. And you can point to Draymond defensively and you can point to what Clay has been able to give them when he's been healthy. But Steph makes it all go. And so while I, I'm with you, I, I would think that more teams would use the system and the structure that the Warriors have in place. I give the credit to to Kerr and how he's always deferred the praise that so many people want to give him, give the team. The reason it looks the way it does is because of number 30. Hey, Nick, I want to pick your brain on just a couple other things around the league. Uh, Andy and I go back and forth on and a different awards, whether Rookie of the Year, Sixth Man, Most Improved, MVP. I say as of right now, and things could change, especially now that Harden is going to be looking to have the basketball in his hands a lot. That could take away from Embiid. Time will tell. But for me, Embiid right now is the MVP of the league. Where, where do you stand on that subject? Completely. And, to the crazy part, and, and this is why it can all change again in a few weeks, or everybody's got to stay healthy. You never know about that. Steph was the runaway MVP a month and a half into the season. I mean, he was so far beyond where everybody else was and the Warriors were playing so well and the narrative was there for him. Oh my gosh, Steph's led the Warriors back and and he is really tapered off here. And I'm not going to put anything past Steph Curry because I watched him too long to think, oh, well, you know, he's just kind of going to fade away into the end of the, the second half of the year. No, no, it's still possible. But the, the, the point here is, Embiid looks like the guy who not only is backing up what he's doing on the floor, but now he's got the narrative behind him. And he's got the the juice of everybody saying, hey, it's Joel's time. And now you get Harden, and Harden's going to try to help push him up because Harden knows that he's taken another PR hit in the way he kind of ducked out of Brooklyn. So uh, there are a lot of different layers there always are with the MVP award. But right now, going into the All-Star break, I would think it's Embiid's to lose. I jumped on the Cavaliers bandwagon early. How much do you like them and how dangerous can they be? Because between Garland, Allen, and Mobley, I'm saying NBA Finals within the next two to three years. Andy, I, I think that is possible. And and I give a lot of credit to their front office because I looked at some of the moves and I kind of went, ah, they're still a couple years away from, from be- being very relevant being back into that contention again. And I was able to see them up close for the first time about a month ago. And they play hard. And you mentioned Garland and Mobley and Jared Allen. He's going to the All-Star game now. That'll be a fun experience for him playing uh, in Cleveland. But they know where they're supposed to be. They know that they're playing for one another. And, Shu, it's a, it's another Tibbsism, at least at the beginning of that Chicago tenure. When you hear and see a team playing, especially a young team that's building their core and starting to come together and realizing just how good they can be, when you start playing for one another, that's when you become that much more dangerous. So, Andy, I'm with you. It's a very tough team. It's a talented team. And when you have those type of characteristics, it's a team that's going to continue to grow and build, you'd figure, over the next couple seasons. And and what's amazing to me with those two seven-footers, I've really never seen the lane shut down like that. It's it's incredible. 
there aren't a lot of options for teams to go against Cleveland. And that part of it is, is really, really impressive because when you're watching a group kind of learn its identity on the fly, it, it, it's the type of team that you know it when you see it. And Cleveland has that, that aura about them that we'll see what happens in this, this playoff run. But if you stay healthy and you add another piece or two around that core that they've got in place, they can be very dangerous, not only in the, uh, a couple seasons, but for a long time. Nick, I want to go back to the MVP conversation. He's not going to win the award um, for a lot of reasons, mostly because he's not flashy and other guys are having just big seasons also. But DeMar DeRozan is just having, I mean, is it possible for a veteran to have a coming out season? But he is. I mean, he's, he did something, and Andy, you'll love this. You know, he, over his last seven games, he's averaged over 35 points, shooting over 50%. He's the only one of two players ever to do that. Andy, who was the other guy? Might it be the GOAT, Wilt? Yeah, that's that's Andy's GOAT of all time, of course. So, I mean, De- DeMar DeRozan is... I'm showing just, my age. Yeah, well, we're all showing our ages. Um, <laughs> right. Anyway, he, he's playing out of his mind. You know, he, he has to because uh, Zach Levine is not healthy right now and, and they're, you know, the Bulls are just decimated by injuries. And they're a good story also. I don't see them winning a championship, even the way they're constituted, unfortunately. I think they're lacking in some areas that ultimately, and especially if it becomes playoff time and they match up against certain teams, like a Philadelphia, for instance, they're going to be in trouble. But anyway, DeMar DeRozan's having a great season. I'm just wondering if you could talk about that. Shoo, he's been awesome. And again, I was doubting in the summer when they acquired DeMar just how much of a lift he could give them. Because once you start hitting age 32, 33, and you get in that range, you kind of are what you are in this league. You don't hit that next peak where you go, oh, all right, I've taken my game to a whole different place. But he's been just terrific, and I know he's going to get some MVP votes with the way he's been performing. The issue I have about the Bulls is, and it's why everybody gets all mad at me still in Chicago, the reason that Toronto moved DeMar wasn't just because of landing Kawhi. It was because... They were never sure if he was going to play the same way in the playoffs that he had shown in the regular season. So as great as he's been, and maybe this is the year that he turns it around and and can shift that narrative a little bit for his career. But I still look at the Bulls as a team that is fun in the regular season and doesn't have enough in the playoffs. And when you're when you have watched. What, what we have watched through the years, and I think so much of it from my standpoint was in the way I see the game was built in those Bulls Heat series. In the playoffs, you want superstars. You want guys that can take over, and sure, the depth is important, and sure, guys like Caruso and and Ball, the getting them healthy and getting them back on the floor, it's crucial. I am just taking teams that have Giannis or KD or... Uh, Joel Embiid, or even Miami, and I'm not saying that Jimmy is a superstar, but they've been there at uh, the finals a couple games away in the bubble, and Adebayo and Kyle Lowry won with the Raptors. I'm taking all of those teams in a series over a team that hasn't been there in the Bulls with two guys 
in DeRozan and Levine, who, while very, very talented, I'm not putting on the level of, of any of the other guys that uh, we just listed off there. And I wanted to get back to Golden State for a second. Do you think they need to add a big to get through the West? Do you think they'll be aggressive in terms of the buyout market there? Andy, the guy who always made sense when you started looking at the names going back even a few weeks was Robin Lopez. Now, whether or not that happens, we'll see. And I know the Warriors are banking on James Wiseman giving them something, but that is a whole nother issue for for Bob Myers and his staff because they were hoping that Wiseman was going to provide something months ago and his knee rehab just hadn't gone the way everybody had hoped. So I don't know how you're going to lean on him for 15 or 20 minutes in the playoffs after he's basically missed almost an entire year here in his second season. So uh, in the buyout market, I think there's going to be interest from a lot of guys because they see the way that Steph and now Clay and getting Draymond back healthy is crucial, have been playing. But I I watched a guy like Andre Drummond uh, the other night in his Nets debut, and I went, that's the guy the Warriors need. That's the guy they need to plug in. It's just that those type of guys with those type of talent aren't readily available, as we all know. So uh, whether or not they make a move, I think they're really, really good. But I would be surprised if they went from all the way out of the playoffs a year ago to all the way back to another title. Two last questions. Uh, first of which, uh, two last questions on my part, I should say. Um, the Lakers. Uh, listen, uh, a lot of people said they'd be too old this year. Um, LeBron's been injured. AD's been injured. Westbrook has not panned out. Can they still pan out before it's all said and done? LeBron is still the second greatest player, maybe, or third greatest player of all time. AD, if he's healthy and he's motivated, I still think he's a top five player in the world. And Westbrook is still effective if he's harnessed. I mean, can this team turn it its, it's blank around, Nick? I don't believe so, Shu. Okay. I think their time has has come and gone. I, You and I have seen LeBron <laughs> do it so many times in the playoffs that there's a part of me that says, okay, to what you're saying, if they can just get it all back on track, get everybody healthy, motivated, going to the playoffs. But they have been too flawed throughout the regular season to think that that type of switch can get hit. And over time, and it's another another Tibbsism, you build your habits in the regular season for the playoffs. I don't see the Lakers as being able to, to get everything back around and get Westbrook in a good place uh, to think that they can do much damage. And I, I wanted to get back to Simmons for a second. He was asked about his foul shooting the press conference, but not a general question about, you know, are you going to be taking mid-range shots, any threes? Uh, what did you hear? What, what, what's your gut feeling? What I heard, Andy, was from Nash a couple days ago and saying, we don't want Ben to focus on, on shooting. We are not concerned about that. And I he think was talking to Doc Rivers then, right? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. I, but I, I see where he's going because so much of the Simmons story will be how is he holding up mentally? Because there are so many different people who thought, and, and Simmons addressed this at the press conference, thought, oh, he's making this up. This is the mental health thing is just a way to get out of Philly. Whether you believe him or not, that that is something that he really dealt with. The Nets' whole plan, it appears, is we are going to build this guy up all the way. And we are going to make sure that he feels support from us 
and that we are only going to focus on the things that he does well. And the craziest part about what Nash was saying the other night is Simmons is an all-star player, and he really can't shoot. And he's not shooting the mid-range, and he's certainly not shooting from distance at all from, from three-point land. So Simmons can provide all these different layers of solid play, and they're, they're, the Nets' whole thinking is, all right, well, we have Kevin Durant. And he when he's healthy, at least to me, guys, he's still the best. He's incredible when he's on the floor. And we have Seth Curry now, and we know he can knock it down from all over. And they have Kyrie. Now, how much they have Kyrie, as we sit here right now, he's only scheduled to be able to play in eight more games the rest of the regular season, which just is crazy given how much is on the line for this team in the second half. But if you have those guys, you're not going to focus on Simmons with the mid-range or with the three-point shots because you're going to say, Ben, set them up. They'll take the pressure off you, and I think that's the direction they want to go. So if we're to assume that that Ben will not be a perimeter jump shooter, do you believe then that Drummond and Simmons won't share the floor together a lot? Uh, that would be my guess because you're just going to clog everything up. But with the way this net season has gone, Andy, anything's possible. <laughs> I've seen so much different stuff over, over the last month or so where I'm just shaking my head going, those guys are on the floor together. So in theory, yes. You, you wouldn't want to pair those two guys, but I think this team is just trying so desperately to get healthy and get to the playoffs. And once you get to the playoffs with Kevin Durant, again, uh, anything anything can happen with them. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, I got a, my final question coming up in a second. I don't know if any team has ever won an NBA championship that had lost 11 in a row in the regular season. I tend to doubt that's ever happened. But if ever a team could do that, obviously it's this team because they're so incredibly talented. But time will tell. My final question, Nick, appreciate your time, of course. And it's not just because he's from Chicago, but Derrick Rose is going to be one of my all-time favorite players. He was well on his way to, you know, being a super, superstar Unfortunately, he had all the knee injuries, but even after that, he reincarnated himself and, and became a very effective player. Now he's got the ankle surgery. I don't think his final chapters have been written just yet, but the question remains, and I don't have a good answer for this, Nick. Ultimately, is he a Hall of Fame player? Right now, Shu, I don't believe so, but with the way that the Hall of Fame voting is done and with the push that Derek could get as his con- career uh, continues on over the next few years, if he keeps putting up numbers, I am sure there are going to be people out there who say youngest MVP of all time, led Memphis uh, within a a couple seconds of winning an NCAA title, Uh, would have been an incredible, incredible player for the Bulls for years had it not been for all those knee injuries. So I think Nobody could say definitively right now, no. That'd be where I would lean, but I think there's a lot of time for Derek to still bulk up the resume. And I'd say this, a few years ago, I don't think there were a lot of people in the league that thought Derek was going to keep playing. He just had, didn't seem to enjoy being out there. And I think he's found the love of the game again. That is hugely important. And, and as somebody who watched him like you did, from the beginning, it's been nice to see. 
especially from a basketball standpoint. So he's enjoying being out there. Uh, but as far as the Hall of Fame discussion goes, I think he's he's still got a lot of, of work to do. But uh, he's got time on his side, which is incredible given the way it appeared his story was going a couple seasons ago. All right, one final one for me. Do the Nets have a big-time shot to win the championship if Kyrie does not get the shot? No. Uh, Andy, if he's not on the floor, I don't think they can get all the way through. And I say that as somebody who thinks that Kevin Durant <laughs> is never going to get the total respect that he probably deserves because so many people focus on so much other stuff going on uh, in his world off the floor. When you watch Kevin play basketball, he can dominate with, with any four guys. But when you're getting in the NBA playoffs and you have to go through the size and, and all the different things that come at you in a playoff series, unless, and, and I again, I say this thinking nothing's going to surprise me, but it would stun me if Kyrie got that shot, unless there is a pullback of the vaccination mandate. And the Nets are still hoping, and Kyrie definitely is hoping that that happens at some point in the next couple months. I don't see how the Nets can win without him and get all the way through. Why doesn't somebody just run up behind him and jab him like you know, like a three stooges <laughs> episode? And it's it's you. I'm telling you, it is not going to happen. He yeah. is as to use his words. He's he's rooted in his decision, and it's not yeah. going to change. All right, fair enough. And listen, I'm rooted in my thoughts that you're the best. Again, as I said right at the beginning, I'm proud of you, Nick. Really proud of you. I, uh, do the Nets come back to Chicago one more time, or is that it? No, I think that's I, it. I, I think that's it, but I, I'm really hoping to, and I appreciate you saying that a lot, because uh, you and I spent so many hours in the UC, and when you have invested that type of time into our jobs uh, to 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 go to the different places I've gone, that's been cool. But you, I always go back to those moments in time in Chicago and we're taping those raps and you're kicking it to less and and I'm taping stuff for Dave Jude in the morning. I, I think back to that a lot. So I, I appreciate you saying that. And I'm really hoping that the Nets and the Bulls get a playoff series somewhere. I, we don't know how the, the numbers are going to align. I think the Nets are – going to make a push here once they get everybody back. And I think the Bulls might uh, struggle a little bit with so many different guys injured. But I, I hope the chips fall where those two teams can square off because it would be a lot of fun. All right. Well, the first couple of beers are on me if indeed that happens. <laughs> All um, right. Got to do us a favor, both myself and Andy. Say hello to Ian. Say hello to Sarah. They're both good friends of ours, and uh, they're the best also. They really are really good. I will for sure. I will Terrific for sure. People. And second, as I as I wrap this sucker up, uh, thanks everybody for listening. Yeah.